As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible and open it up, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today, uh, verses 9 through 14. Happy Father's Day to the 70.1 million dads in this country. Uh, My 10-year-old has this fascination right now. She keeps asking me, Dad, what did you feel like when I was born? What is it that you were feeling? And so I'll, I'll tease her and I'll say, well, Karis, I felt sleepy. That's what I felt. And I'll be like, actually, no, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. I, I felt poor whenever we were born. And she's like, no, come on, Dad, really, what did you feel like? And so I, I began thinking about that. I thought, well, I had this extreme happiness, but there was also this nervousness, this almost fear, because fatherhood is a big deal. Fatherhood is huge, and the impact that fathers have on children is absolutely amazing. In fact, 85% of children that have been diagnosed with severe behavioral problems come from a fatherless home. 71% of high school dropouts grow up in fatherless homes. 75% of adolescents in substance abuse programs were raised in homes without a father figure. 85% of youths in prison come from fatherless homes. Daughters without an involved father are 92% more likely to have marriages end badly or seven times more likely to have children uh, as a teenager. 91% of fathers say that there is some level of a father crisis in America today. You say, Lash, this isn't helping, okay? I'm still more nervous now whenever I begin to realize the stakes of fatherhood. Well, a lot of families don't have a father in the home. Or maybe you do have a father, but he's always angry. Or he's absent. He's kind of AWOL in his fathering. Or maybe maybe uh, your father's already gone to be with the Lord. Now, the dads that are here today, you guys kind of represent the all-star dad team. You guys are the good guys. You're here on Father's Day. You, you brought your family to church on Father's Day. That's why you're here, because you want to do well. But we were all really honest, and this goes for moms too. If we were all really honest, there's something deep inside of us that's afraid that we're going to mess it all up. Now, the goal of fatherhood is actually simple. So let me boil it down to one simple goal for fatherhood. To help your children live out our Heavenly Father's mission for their life. To help your children discover and live out our Heavenly Father's mission for their lives. That is ultimately your goal. To help them discover how God wired them, what God called them to, and equipped them to live that out. And earthly fathers are to be a reflection of the Heavenly Father. And hear me well on this this morning. If your earthly father, for some reason, is angry or absent, you have a Heavenly Father who is loving and is present. So here's my assignment today. I want us to understand a few things about our Father, our Heavenly Father. 
Now, this is one of those sermons that you can't just kind of move in and out of mentally. It's one of these sermons that you have to stick with me because we are going to talk about some theological truths and some things about our Father, but I think it's one of these sermons that if you will receive the Word of God today, it can be very, very helpful to you. As a, as a young boy growing up, I remember well sitting in the locker room on one knee, and before we would go play a football game, Coach Price would come into the locker room. Coach Price always had his black Puma cleats on, and he had his knee-high white socks with the stripes on them. Anybody else have a Coach Price? Bike coaching shorts, whistle around the neck, white Keller football t-shirt, you know. And we would all sit on one knee, and he would start reciting the Lord's Prayer, and we would say with him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The passage of Scripture that we call the model prayer or the Lord's Prayer. Jesus issued these words or gave these words to His disciples when they asked Him, Lord, teach us to pray. And today I want to share with you five things about our Father. The first thing that I want you to notice is that He is our Father. When Jesus began the prayer, He didn't say the exclusive, my Father. He didn't say your Father. He said our Father. He didn't use impersonal language. He didn't say the Father. He didn't say a Father. He didn't say their Father. He said our Father. Now what this means is that in Christ, those of us who are believers in Christ, God sees us as His child. And so, we are family. If you are a believer in Christ, God sees you as His child. And so, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, children of God. Physically, we have different fathers. But spiritually, we have only one Father, and Jesus makes sure that we understand this. He is our Father. Jesus is the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. Because said, okay, I'm going to teach you to pray. He's my Father, not yours. Instead, he says, no, he's our Father. Now, that word Father is also very, very significant. In the Old Testament, God was rarely referred to as Father. In fact, there's only about seven instances in the Old Testament when God was called Father. And during Jesus' day, no one referenced God as Father. Their understanding of God was His holiness and His majesty, the fact that He was set apart, and nobody spoke of God as Father because it was too personal. So Jesus begins His prayer with our Abba. Now, Abba is the most casual term you could use for the Father, an Aramaic word. 
It would almost translate into our English word, Daddy. Now, if I began our prayer time today and I said, Our Daddy who art in heaven, some of you would be like, What has gotten into lash? That just sounds disrespectful. So imagine Jesus, the Son of God. He's being asked, How do we pray? How do we talk to God? And imagine the shock on the faces whenever Jesus says, Okay, this is how you pray. Our Abba, our Daddy. Now, why would Jesus do this? I think Jesus wants us to know that God is not angry or absent, but He is right there. He loves you, and He wants you to love Him as well, and He wants you to know Him. He is our Father, and Jesus uses that word, Abba, our Daddy, and I can't help but in my own mind, go to those joyful moments whenever I come home after a, a, a long day serving this church. <laughs> and I, I walk into the door and my kids go, Daddy's home! And your heart just melts because you know that you're a superhero to those kids. And Jesus says whenever you go to your father, you can just come before him as our father. Now, there's a second thing here. His name is honored as holy. What does hallowed be thy name mean? What does it mean to be holy? Well, the word holy means set apart, transcendent. It also means completely pure or sacred. So when we talk about the Holy Bible, we see it as a set apart book, that it is pure, without error inspired by the Holy Spirit, and so therefore it is sacred and it is holy. And so when we talk about God's name being honored as holy, it is a set-apart, holy, majestic, all-powerful name, and God is completely pure. I try to be a good dad, but I mess up. There are times when... I don't react the way that I should. There's times where I'm just flat out selfish. I should be selfless. I should be willing to go fill that cup up with a fifth cup of Gatorade, but I'm selfish. I don't want to do it at that time. There's times where uh, I'm unwise. I don't give the best advice. I try to be a good dad, but I often fall short. Am I the only one that's like that? Let's pray for the preacher today. He's, <laughs> he needs our prayers. Uh, he's not a good dad, you know. We're all that way. Dads, moms, grandpas, grandpas. I mean, grandmas, we're, we're all that way. Same thing with kids. Sometimes we're not the kids that we need to be to our parents. <laughs> but God, our Father, is pure. He is set apart from sin. He is beyond. There is no corruption within Him. Now, here's what this means, that God's love for you is completely pure. You see, He is our Father whose name is honored as holy, which means He is a Father who loves you with a pure, uncorruptible love. And He is dependable, and He is trustworthy as the object of the person who holds our faith. Now, there are some times when I don't understand God, 
There's times when things happen in life that just confuse me. I don't understand it. I can't put the package of theology all together. There are times where I'm just like, God, I don't know what you're doing. And then there's also the rule of it's always something, right? You think, okay, if I can just get to here, if I can just get to the end of the school year, then I'll be okay. But then it's always something. I can just get to uh, that promotion at work, then everything will be good, but then it's always something. Life always has something that makes it confusing and makes it complicated that you don't completely understand. But here's something that I do know. There is an all-powerful, all-good, loving God that teaches me that I can call Him Father. And even when I don't understand it all, even whenever I'm lonely, even whenever I feel isolated or I don't feel well, I know that God is there to help me stand strong. I know that He is there to help me be the man that He has called me to be. And I know that nothing will ever separate me from the love of God because God does not love me based upon my behavior. God does not love me for my loveliness. God loves me in Christ. And the Scriptures say that in Christ I am God's, not just for this lifetime, but I am His forever and ever and ever. And nothing can separate me from a holy God. And as holy and powerful and almighty as my God is, He also loves me and says, Come near to me, you're mine. I love you. Thirdly, He has a heavenly will for your earthly life. Now, we actually all have the same mission. Our mission, each of us, is to glorify God with the life that we have. I talk often about the singleness of purpose. Learn to live life with a singleness of purpose that transcends every area of your life. In other words, in your schooling, in your friendships, in your parenting, in your marriage, in your career, in how you spend your money and your time, you have one simple goal, to honor God, to glorify God. But how that mission is lived out is going to look different from life to life. How we honor God through the daily events of our life is going to look a little bit different. So how do I find God's will for my life? Because the Scriptures say that we should pray uh, that the will of God in heaven will be lived out here on earth. Well, several things about finding the will of God. First of all, Jesus says, pray for it. Pray and ask God for the will of God to unfold in your life. Pray that God's will in heaven will be seen on earth here through the way that you live. Secondly, begin to take note of your God-given gifts and talents. Begin to take note of how God has wired you. Every Christian has at least one spiritual gift that God has blessed you with to be used for Him. God's given you talents. You may have some unique abilities, and you can use those talents to serve, to make a difference, to, make, to honor God. And then God has also given us experiences, some good experiences. Sometimes it's an education. Sometimes God has taken us through some pain. There are some of us in the room You've gone through the pain of great loss. 
great disappointment. You've had people be abusive towards you. You've been the victim of crime. Whatever it might be, you've gone through pain. And that is an experience that you now have. I am sorry that you went through that. I do not wish pain on anyone. But I do know this. When we go through pain, we then possess an incredibly deep reservoir from which to minister to others who are also going through pain. And God uses our past experiences, both the good times and the bad, for His glory in ways that only God can knit together the tapestry. And when you have gone through difficult times, God can use you in ways that you could never imagine to impact people around you. So begin taking note of your God-given gifts, talents, and experiences. And then thirdly, learn to listen. This is a lost art in our culture. We never stop. We're always connected. We're always wired. And so we don't stop long enough to listen. But if you want to know and do the will of God, you have to spend time listening to God. And God has spoken. He has spoken to us through His Word. You say, I would like God to speak out loud. Okay, read the Bible out loud. Okay? God has spoken to us through His Word. God also speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. That still small voice of the Spirit within you. And God speaks to you through the wisdom of godly people around you. Do you have some people in your life? Hear me on this, okay? Do you have some people in your life that whenever you're searching God's will out, you can go to them and you know that they're going to give you godly wisdom? You need people in your life whose last name is not Google, okay, that, that can speak into you and help you understand things from a godly perspective and learn to hear it and not just think about what you want to say. Fourthly, obey. If you want to know and do the will of God, start out by obeying God right where you are. A lot of times we wait until everything gets perfect. Okay, whenever I learn more about the Bible, then I'll do that. Whenever I graduate, then I'll do that. Whenever I get married, then I'll do that. Whenever I retire, then I'll do that. When I get to this point of financial security, then I'll do that. Start doing what you can today. Obey God right where you are, and then let God take you to where He wants you to go. So what are the opportunities to obey Him right now? What can you do for him today? I know in my own life of ministry, the first thing that I did in trying to serve God was I was a volunteer in children's church. All through high school, I volunteered to help with the third grade children's church. And that was, that was uh, where I kind of started serving God. My, my first job in ministry uh, was the church custodian. So I, no one wants me to be their pastor, but I can pick up trash, you know. And as you are obedient to God today, God will give you more opportunities to serve Him when He sees you being faithful to His will today. Look around and discover, how can I serve God right now? Now here's a hint. The main task in life is almost always people. The people are the task. And what God calls you to is almost always linked to people in some way. 
That's why Jesus taught us that at the core of the commandments of God are to love God with all of our being, love our one another's, and then love others. Frequently in life, we lose sight of the people because of the task. And we start thinking that, oh, I've got to get this done, this done, this done, this done, and the checkboxes are the, are the ministry. In reality, the checkboxes are vehicles that lead you to the people. So when you start getting confused, okay, what should I do? What should I, how should I react? Think about the people and respond in such a way that it allows you to minister and meet people at their point of need. Fourthly, our Father provides for us what we need. The Lord said, give us today our daily bread. God does not always give us what we want, but He always gives us what we need. The illustration here goes back to Israel. You'll remember Israel found themselves in slavery to the Egyptian empire. They were living a daily life of drudgery, And then God raised up one of the great liberators of all time, a man by the name of Moses. And Moses was able to lead the people out of slavery. And I can imagine having lived my entire life as a slave and suddenly I am free. I can imagine the children of Israelite leaving Egypt and they are singing songs of joy and they're like, hey, build your own pyramids We're out of here, okay? Moses is leading us and God is leading us to this promised land. And then they come up to this large body of water water called the Red Sea. And God supernaturally allows them to go across the Red Sea. Now, it's all fun and games until you starve to death on the other side of the Red Sea. Because on the other side of the Red Sea is modern-day Saudi Arabia. It's dusty, it's dry, food is not readily available, nor is water. So what did God do? Every day, He provided them with just enough manna, just enough bread to make it through the day. And that's how God works. One step at a time, one day at a time, one moment at a time. And He does this. For all eternity. Now I know, because this happens to me as well, there are times where I'm like, God, can you just back up a bread truck, okay? I need the entire Mrs. Baird's truck right now, all right, God? I, I need more than just a couple meals, right? But that's not how God usually works. He, he provides us our, our daily bread, and He provides us what we need to make it through today, and then tomorrow He'll provide us with what we need to make it through that day. Now, some of us, as we come into the doors today, you are carrying a massive load. And if we were to be really honest, you would say, Lash, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. Well, here's what you're going to do. First of all, realize you're okay right now. You're sitting here amongst God's people, singing praises to God, and you're okay in this moment. Secondly, understand that God has told us not to be filled with anxiety and worry, instead to cast our cares upon Him. And when we do that, He will begin to drain us of our worry and fill us with faith. Rather than worry being your go-to reaction, make prayer your go-to reaction. And as you realize that you are in the presence of a loving Heavenly Father and you draw near to Him, 
Here's what God begins to do. He gives you your daily bread to make it through. And so here's what you're going to do. Tomorrow the alarm's going to go off, and you're going to get up. And then you're going to stand up, and then you're going to get dressed, and you're going to live that day in such a way that you try to honor God regardless of what you're facing. And then you're going to go to bed. And then the next day the alarm's going to go off. And you're going to get up, and you're going to get dressed, and you're going to do what you can that day to honor God in everything that you do. And you're going to repeat that day after day. And you're going to discover that even though today you don't know how you're going to make it through, God will take you through. You say, but Lash, okay, what if this kills me? What if I lose, what, what if I lose my physical life in the midst of this? God has that covered too. That is a large part of the gospel story, that there is hope that goes beyond the temporal. And that God has a home for you in heaven. And on this day, when some of us miss our fathers, I remind you that the hope of heaven is not just a song. It's not just something that helps us to feel better when we grieve. The hope of heaven is a reality. And it is essential to the gospel story. Fifth, our Father delivers us from evil. The most beautiful stories in life are the stories of reconciliation. Those stories when two people that were estranged come back together and there is forgiveness and there is a restoration of that relationship. They're the most beautiful stories in life. Why? Because they mirror our story with God. There was a time when each of us was estranged from our Father and we were living in darkness. But God, motivated by His love for you, sent His Son. And His Son lived life among us, yet His Son lived life in a holy manner, pure and sinless. And His Son overcame darkness and overcame death, and His Son brought deliverance to our soul. Because Jesus tells us that if we believe in Him, we have eternal life, and so the natural decay of the order is reversed, and rather than decay and perishing, you have everlasting life in Christ. That's the story of what God has done for you. You once were estranged, yet He reconciled reconciled you to Himself for His glory. A story of reconciliation. That's why it's so important that we have stories of reconciliation in our life as well. That's why it's so important that we don't harbor uh, bitter spirits and angry spirits and we let that take root within us because at the heart of the gospel is the reconciliation of our lives with our Father. In the decade after the Revolutionary War, Pennsylvania was among the first groups of people to recognize that slavery was wrong. Not only did they recognize it, but they began to try to do something about it. And so shortly after the Revolutionary War, Philadelphia became a home to many former slaves. When slaves would try to escape their bondage, they would often find themselves in Philadelphia. Many of the foundations of the Underground Railroad ran through Philadelphia It also became home to those that were hunting slaves. And so there was this great battle 
of deliverance and freedom versus the scourge of slavery that took root there. In March of 1807, Pennsylvania passed a bill that made it illegal to trade slaves. In response to that, in response to this moment of deliverance, William Woodsworth wrote these words in a letter to Thomas Clarkson. They are some of the most beautiful lines of poetry I've ever come across, and yet they are words that you may not have ever heard before. He wrote, Thou henceforth shalt have a good man's calm, a great man's happiness. Thy zeal shall find repose at length, firm friend of humankind. And so I ask you today, how does one have a good man's calm? How does one have a great man's happiness? How do you have a zeal and a joy that knows no length? You won't find it through accomplishment, income, status, pleasure, or experiences. Though all those things are a part of life. We all need a sense of accomplishment and we all need to feel as though we've done something and Many of us desire to be seen as a leader. We all need income for food, water, and shelter. And we all enjoy the pleasures of life and experiencing life and soaking in those moments of laughter. Yet they all also reveal an appetite that can never be quenched because they are all temporary in nature. The testimony to this Is your Father's Day lunch in an hour or so? I'll be through preaching before that, but in an hour or so, you will eat lunch. And some of you at the end of that lunch will go, I am so full that I cannot take another bite. I have reached capacity. But that's not true. Because in four hours, okay, two hours, Okay, one hour, you will once again return to the grazing of your appetite because those things are ultimately temporal. But a good man's calm comes from the eternal, it comes from our Father because only He can deliver you from the bondage of sin and the bondage of the temporal. A great man's happiness comes from our Father because it is found when life ceases to be about my glory and I begin to find the satisfaction and goodness that is in His glory. So look around you, Dad. Look around you, Mom. Look around you, Grandpa. Look around you, Grandma. Look around you, son. Look around you, daughter, because We all have but one real mission, and that is to discover our Father's mission. And then as God begins to reveal that day by day, giving you and extending to you your daily bread, the call on your life and my life is to obey it so that others might experience 
the glory and goodness of our Father. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads, please, as we come to a time of commitment. If God's been stirring your heart and you're at that point where you need to trust in Christ as Savior and Lord, I want to talk to you. I'll be here at the front during this next song. I'll be here after church as well. I can talk to you after church today or during the week sometime, but if God's leading you to that point of salvation, I want to talk with you and be a pastor to you. But if you guys could be so kind, before we sing, I would, I would like for us to recite together the Lord's Prayer. So I'll say a line, and then after I say a line, if you can repeat it. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Father, we sing to you from hearts of worship recognizing the commonality of this room is that we have a Father who loves us with an inseparable love and with a completely pure heart. Help us, Lord, to live our lives so that we bring glory to You and to lead the others in our lives so that they too experience the goodness of knowing You and living for You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.